So I'd like to welcome everyone this evening. <clears throat> so uh, the series of the continua of practice continues. And uh, my hope is that uh, it gets to the marrow of your bones uh, so that you get a sense of the traverse that's necessary uh, from where we begin to uh, where liberation occurs. And the sort of style of practice that you lead uh, doesn't matter so much as the inclination you have towards the ultimate end of the practice, which is the liberated mind. And what I'm trying to show in the series, this series of talks is that uh, you can start wherever you start, uh, but that has to be opened up beyond the conception, the definition of the particular predicament you're in, because as we move uh, across the continuum, you'll find that the definition of the very thing we thought was a problem begins to change in front of our eyes. We see it differently. And it's quite wondrous to see that uh, morph out of the way that we had perceived or what we had thought was the difficulty we had and into the open space of liberation. Now, I pick a couple of points that every continuum must cross and those are the obvious ones of a false nirvana and the counter influence. But, and that will be within every talk. But also I don't want to let people forget that this movement uh, somewhere along the line, sometimes it happens outside the continuum, but usually awakening, the awakening of us uh, occurs within this continuum. For it's more likely to occur when we incline our intention towards it than when we're out doing our usual normal activities. So uh, also within this continuum is uh, waking up, waking up. And waking up can be often very dramatic uh, for some of us. Some of you have had that experience. Uh, but sometimes it is or can be uh, very uh, normal. It's just over time there's a shift in your own perspective of yourself. And I might say that waking up uh, is a, often a sudden shift of perspective from the way that we believe ourselves to be to sort of the figure ground switch where we see we are not what we thought we were. Uh, and it's actually uh, a, a very encompassing realization to that effect. It's not just a passing thought or a uh, or an experience that comes and goes. It's a very um, unshakable confidence that it leaves us with. Uh, and it shows that uh, the way we have believed ourselves to be, there's something much more fundamental from which we, from which the consciousness of that belief has arisen. So, uh, but that, that's part of the continuum shift as well. And that too, is enhanced if you want it to come, if you have an inclination for it, if you want to see the truth of what 
you are in perspective to reality and its uh, organic and authentic presentation, then you will. There is nothing that keeps you from that except uh, your own fear, your own trepidation. Uh, and that changes everything. That speeds the path from the left side to the right side immensely. It, it, there is a, a gathering of confidence and, and assurance uh, where the doubt is no longer, uh, no longer arises. Uh, and the sense of you being a separate identity no longer occurs. I mean, you fall back into that habit of speech, and, but fundamentally, uh, you, you know that it's false. And of course, that assurance provides a rather dramatic shift in, in speed towards the opposite end, as you can imagine. So tonight I want to talk about uh, the continuum from a self-centeredness to all beings. And I just, pick, I just pick a word, really, and I set it down on my left side, and then I pick what it looks like when we have gone through this revelation, and I put that on the right side. So I'm not doing something uh, mysterious. You aren't going to find these continua in the Buddhist literature, but at the same time, you're also going to sense that they're very relevant to your particular journey, no matter what or how you define that journey to be. And so this sense of, um, of uh, continuum and moving, I'd like to start out tonight by just talking about consciousness itself for a moment, if I could, <clears throat> because uh, each of us think we have an individual consciousness, but we don't see that that individual consciousness is really laced together, almost a mosaic of individual pieces laced together into a beautiful a tapestry of universal consciousness. And I want to uh, assure you, first of all, that it is, but also that consciousness is amazing, is an amazing uh, process uh, because it takes the shape, it, think of it, I often think of it as a space itself, where out in outer space you have areas of density, of gravity, that pull matter together, that form the galaxies, and in the galaxies the stars, and the stars are actually being birthed uh, within, those, within those galaxies. And so you get these, these uh, areas of real density of form, but all around it is this tremendous space that holds all of that form. And uh, consciousness is, is a little bit like that, I think that each of us energetically have a kind of dense field around us, a kind of gravitational pull established by our wants, our desires, our attachments. And that's a, a tremendous gravitational field that, that do, those desires create. And it condenses down the form called you and I, which is just dense energy. You see, if you're, gonna, if you're going to step out of yourself, you have to step out of yourself. What's left when you do step out of yourself? You see, you don't have another self to step into and say, wow, I'm glad I left that one. 
You see, so you, you, this is not some whimsical idea. This is when you, that what we are, in essence, is this density of energy that has taken on a configuration of an identity. That's how dense it is. It believes itself to be separate from the space that surrounds it. And so all the vectors, all the arrows point inward. That's how the density maintains its gravitational pull, is it convinces itself through words, and it takes a lot of words. And when you're not actively wording, then you're dreaming the words, or your thoughts are continuing to dispel or to impact that sense of identity. So it's, not, it's very rare that we are ever really quiet with ourselves because we need this constant force inwardly to pull ourselves, to convince ourselves, to maintain ourselves within this very compact sense of energetic me, the energetic me. And that's a configuration of consciousness. Consciousness, consciousness configures itself into the density of you, into the density of me. Now, when you're a dense object, okay, I'm not speaking about weight here, I'm just talking about each one of us in the room. When, we're, when we have that level of density, then, of course, you can see that sight, sight comes from me comes from me seeing you because I can't I can't cross over that density I see from that density all of my senses are held within that dense description and they're all and the words I use to convince myself of my own density is the sense of I me and mine so I have to keep oh I see I hear I think you see, I have to keep labeling each input with a sense of I, the, the person who is receiving that. And you can begin to hear the, the concentration of force, of self-centeredness on which the world is based. And as you begin you know, to compact something very tightly together, it gets caustic, gets, it gets hot, heats up, it gets friction, there's a lot of friction in there, a lot of the molecules are bumping into each other when there's a lot of density and a lot of heat. And that's really what happens with us as well. We are, we are in motion and we're in turbulence and there's a lot of reactivity in terms of heat that is fostered from this continual idea and concept of, of myself pulling the gravitational field inward again and again. And so you could get a sense of how consciousness holds us, each one of us. It takes the shape of me. Consciousness takes the shape of me seeing you. And you, your consciousness, because now consciousness has been divided out from it, its whole, takes the shape of you seeing me, or whatever, or whomever you see. So, what we're doing in this spiritual journey is we're finding a way 
to loosen the density, to, uh, what's a, another word, to, to, to uh, allow some space in that density, to become, so that it becomes less compact, less contracted. And that is fundamental to any Dharma excursion. Now what happens when density, when, the, when we become less dense, which is what Dharma does, Dharma practice makes us less dense, okay? Less reactive, more patient. These are less dense words, right? When you're patient, when you're generous, when you're at ease, when you're content, you can feel the space coming in, can't you? You know, instead of uptight, discontent, argumentative, those are dense words. So as Dharma brings in the counter uh, expression of density, consciousness begins to take the shape of a less dense field. Guess what that looks like? At some point it looks like universal consciousness, it looks like oneness. Now consciousness has just been held to a dense expression of separation because of how we have inputted the data the senses claiming ownership to each sense door and that holds consciousness within the the me and you the separation expression of itself I mean just look at it for a second you see we are each the center of our own universe how dense can it be all experiences are happening to me have always happened to me my experiences haven't happened to you, they happen to me. The, the default position of life is my center, is the center of me. That's what's held all of life coming in. And yes, you might have thoughts and emotions, but mine are much more relevant because I can hear them and feel them. And so I give much more, rev, rev, I give much more importance to my thoughts to my emotions than what you seem to be thinking or feeling. And therefore I hold my opinions at much higher esteem than yours. And so this constant forcing ourselves into a dense and compact center is the way most of us live most of our lives. And it's not until the temperature element gets to be such and the friction gets to be uncomfortable that we want to explore other options within consciousness stay with me here it gets better <laughs> better if you move consciously with what I'm saying than just listen to me can't you feel the density of yourself? Now if you release that density, if you just relax, you see, we have to keep that density to keep the assurance that I'm alive, that I'm here, that I have some relevance in the world. That's why we do it. The last thing we want to feel is being irrelevant, having no place in life. That's too uncomfortable, it's too disorienting. So we just keep focusing in egoically. The ego gets stronger and stronger. Emotions get more volatile 
as this thing gets more impact, the opinions get more abrasive. You see, how dense do we need to come? When do we bottom out of density? When do we give up on it? When does it fail to satisfy? When does it no longer serve our greater need? But what, most of us want to carry that density along the continuum. Yes, we're dense, but well, maybe I can just develop a little happiness in all of this. A little warm-hearted. Maybe some love, huh? You see? But we're not really willing to give up the density. That's what I'm showing. This is... This is not work for the fear-hearted. This takes real courage. And what happens is that consciousness itself, as we begin to relax, I mean, it's really only that, you know, it's only putting down our need to self-talk and self-ridicule and to judge others and to project our minds onto the world. Because as long as I have that kind of self-centeredness, I know exactly what everyone's thinking of me. Just ask me. And I know what you're feeling because I can project my feelings that I have trouble with onto you and see that your feelings are similar too. See, this is how I hold the whole world in place. I've got my place in all of this figured out well-stationed, fixed, fixed. Well, so there's a confrontation from time to time. I'm willing to do that for the sake of my own life, my own need. This is the shape consciousness has taken, given our focus on self-aggrandizement on self-pleasure, on self-serving. This isn't, I'm not scolding this. This is just a state of affairs. And for some, we'd like to get out of it a little bit. We'd like to loosen up. So Dharma practice is the loosening of that density. Now, what's beautiful and what happens is that you don't have to do anything for consciousness to expand along with your relaxation and ease. It takes a different shape. It shows you a different presentation. As we begin to release the way that we hold the world and ourselves within it, as we relax to that, suddenly the boundaries which we have kept in place in order to self-preserve become permeable. And the space that we've held outside of ourselves is external to ourselves becomes all pervasive. Now consciousness takes the form of unity. It takes the form, it doesn't, 
We haven't done anything to make it that way. We have simply relaxed and seen what consciousness looks like from a different perspective when we're not focusing ourselves forward, moving or pushing ourselves. And it looks very differently. It looks connected. And many of us, although perhaps visually we haven't seen that, although some of us, many of us in the room have, we feel it in our hearts. We feel more of a sense of sharing, of caring, of connection. Generosity comes spontaneously to us. Perhaps we feel more patient, more tolerant. more forgiving. This is what it looks like. This is what the consciousness, how it starts expressing itself. We may as yet be fearful of what it looks like to step outside of our individuated boundary. And so we keep that encrusted within us. Don't be afraid of that. Let it come too. It's a part of the awakening experience of ourselves stepping out of the insulated and isolated position we've been in. Where everybody's body doesn't represent something separate from. Where form isn't the dividing line, the edge between that and space. What comes in, what comes in is the whole of space that lives within form. And you can feel it begin to allow ourselves a different movement, a different orientation to life, a different, a different perspective. But that's the shape consciousness takes when we have relaxed energetically the need to, dense, to condense ourselves down. <clears throat> but it hasn't stopped. It takes lots of shapes. As we get as it begins to blow, as it begins to fill more space, consciousness, suddenly we perceive that form and the space are really all co-joined. And we begin to understand that it's all empty, that it, nothing has a personal identity within that totality. That it's, that personal identity took the shape of you and I when the density was there. But once the density is relaxed, then what is shown, what is revealed, is something far richer than individual things. And we also begin to see that individual things were really a projection of what my memory told me something was. And since I carry my memory with me and I'm constantly speaking, 
I'm constantly telling objects what they are. I'm never leaving them alone, just like I'm never leaving myself alone. And as long as I can constantly represent something as being something different and separate from me and an object that I've known in my past, everything is fixed and stayed. Everything is very relevant and permanently stationed. But once that all starts to be released, then nothing holds value in and of itself. Now, from a dense point of view, that sounds like a threat. That sounds like somewhere I'm not going. Have no value? That's the point of what my life is about. It's the point of what your life and my life is about when we're dense. When we are dense, those are the laws that operate. I want meaning. I want purpose. I want a position. I want attention. These are all ways to affirm my density. But when the density is relaxed, so too are those needs relaxed. And the shape consciousness takes can be a unity consciousness, or it can be seen from emptiness because it also takes the shape of emptiness. It takes the shape of oneness. Some proclaim it to be God Everything is God, everything is consciousness. Those are all shapes, those are all perspectives that consciousness can give us at different times as the density is released and we begin to look and view the world from a different perspective. Now here's the key. Freedom is not holding on to any one of those shapes. Freedom is not settling into unity consciousness and deciding that's where you're going to abide. Many people do that. Some spiritual teachers do that. And from their lofty position, talk to you from that perspective. But that's not freedom. Freedom is not settling into any shape but allowing all shapes to manifest. So that at times, the shape of me being here, reading, teaching, doing whatever I'm doing, as the density of me is the perfect shape to take. It's what's required. At other times, when that isn't occurring, Consciousness can take, settle the way it wants to settle. But it, we're not in dispute of how it settles or the shape it takes. That's not the point. Freedom is freedom within all shapes. Remember that. Because then you won't fight the shape it's currently taking. You'll have to settle with this shape that is currently taken, even if it's the most dense. Because what's happening there is that we'll let you stay there until that particular configuration of us, of you, of me, has served its use. It's served its use universally, because it's always a universal use. But it also serves individually. At some point, 
you'll get tired of that density. That doesn't mean you then revolt and turn yourself from it and never want to turn back to being a person or an individual because there are many times during the course of the day that being an individual is the perfect configuration that you have to take. Are people following this? You see, each manifestation of consciousness has its perfection in the moment it's taking place. From our point of view, it's a limitation because we're seeing it from the density, from the pain side of the issue. And we have to fully invest ourselves in making that density as conscious as we can so that we can step out of that painful issue. So it's not prohibiting the sense of journeying out. But at some point you see that the configuration that's taking has the perfection that is needed for the occasion that's being called for. So even what happens, you see, now, if you don't care, if there is truly a release, a relaxation to whatever shape consciousness takes. Just stay with me here because it's getting, it's getting weird. <laughs> is that you don't invest in consciousness at all. It doesn't matter what expression it's taking. And then consciousness as seen is seen as another limitation. But since we aren't invested in any configuration of consciousness, that which gives rise to consciousness So let me back up here. Keep that sense, if you will, of something far greater and richer than the different images that we hold to be ourselves and the world at large. And the proclaiming of unity or God or whatever, all of that is just a different lens that we're looking through. That does not contradict us working hard within each lens frame of reference. And for most of us, we live in a relatively dense world. And there's a lot of pain associated with that density. And we have and are called to 
work effectively to end that suffering. And sometimes that's finding therapy, a good therapist. Sometimes it's meditation. But often it isn't the inward journey of full recognition of how the body is holding itself in mind, how the body and mind is holding itself at any given moment and releasing the tension that has associated and accumulated within that buildup. So that no matter what situation is going on, we always have the ability to release the tension of that situation. And working effectively like that begins to open up the frame of reference. To move us beyond that individual way of seeing. And we join our fellow human beings. Because the first step out of our sense of self-centeredness is connecting with the common element of humanity. You start feeling for that person or persons. I was just reading a New York Times study on empathy. Did anybody else see that? It was interesting. It said that in all the studies, we can be very empathetic for one person. Like if you see somebody in pain, your heart responds to that person. But if there's more than one, you can't hold it. So your empathy starts diminishing after more than one person suffering. You can hold one, but when there's more than one, like Iraq, you go, or Afghanistan, or one of these places, any of this stuff. You just can't hold, it's too much, it's too overwhelming, it's too much. So you stop it, and now you can go back to the one-in-one -one empathy. But the article says that other studies have shown that that's a choice we make to end our empathy. That actually you can build in the willingness to choose to do the opposite to continue to open regardless of the breadth of the suffering you see. Most people do not choose that because it's too overwhelming to, and too vulnerable. They can hold one. Let's get the dog out of the sewer. Never mind that a thousand children have died in Iraq that day. Let's get the dog out of the sewer. You see? So what meditation is doing, what the spiritual journey is doing, is allowing us not to become overwhelmed, which causes us to re-condense back into ourselves, but to stay open to the expressions of what consciousness feels like 
as it's becoming less and less dense. And the way it feels is tender. That's what it feels like when it becomes less dense. That's the expression of heart. Vulnerability. Being vulnerable. Feeling exposed. Some of us have gone through difficulties, recent or historical, in which you have felt your own suffering to such a degree that as if you remember or reflect upon that, it makes you extraordinarily tender. That was a tender time. You can dismiss it as being the hardest time in your life. But if you really look at it, something in there, something was seen that was different than perhaps how you've ever been before. And perhaps it was scary or you felt too vulnerable, you wanted to encase yourself again back into a protective shield, back into the density of your own thought. But some of you caught that as the sense of liberation, of freedom. It spoke more than the fear element. There was something about a tender or vulnerable heart that didn't frighten you, didn't close you back down, not forever. And now once you have submitted yourself in a bow to the observance of life, when we live the empathy for all beings, now we can move freely among the pain and suffering of all beings without having to focus only on one. It doesn't always feel good. It feels overwhelming. It feels, I can't hold this. There's too much here. But that's only because we're bringing the old retrospective consciousness that's talking itself through the problem rather than the direct impact of the heart upon the problem. As long as we're talking ourselves, you see there's a slight delay between the input of what we see and the experience of the suffering we, we are feeling. There's actually an eight millisecond difference between the body acknowledging that and the mind's interpretation and configuration of the response and consciousness necessary to respond to it. And it's that eight milliseconds, or eight-tenths of a millisecond, where we lose our sense of unity and come back into the density and regain the infusion of our speech, the in encouragement of our speech to solve the problem rather than our heart to solve the problem.
So we see how close we are, you see. No one is keeping your eyes shut. No one is closing them for you. We choose that. And meditation is a systematic and very gentle way to open the clenched fist of our life, bathing it in warm water of our consciousness, not investing in a reactive pattern, but seeing what is there rather than condensing around what is there. And slowly, like some organic birth process, isn't there a birthing that happens in water, some, some type of birthing that occurs in a bathtub? That has a, can't remember, Lamaze? No, no. Never mind. Water birthing, of course. <laughs> well, it feels like that's what happens to our soul, to our spirit. It's a water birth. Very gentle. Where do we pull up stakes, you see? Because there is a near enemy, there is a I don't mean your enemy, I mean a um, false nirvana where you start feeling this tenderness and you just want to stay there. That you, the shape you want your consciousness to take. You want it to just be fed with this delightful spirit of tenderness. It's so different than how you've lived and how we've lived it. It touches your heart and it just knows nowhere else you want to go. This is the person you want to be. And that's the false nirvana of this journey because that's the consciousness expression. And each expression of consciousness, believe me, holds tremendous joy and relevance and, and, and seeing and truth and delights us. To the, wow, why would I ever want to leave this form of consciousness? So each one has a, an allurement to pull you into it, to have you there, to steady you, to, to, to be everlasting for you. And then the counter-influence of that, you see. You realize that to move outside of all of the different packaging of consciousness, you can't be centered in any one of them. You can't be a loving person to be love. You have to step out of the loving person-ness in order for love to express itself completely. But love feels so rich. I was once in a meditation retreat in which I was infused in metta. Every cell in my body was infused because I was doing a, an absorption with the... And I thought, well, this is it. And then about 30 seconds later, I said, it's not enough. 
because it wasn't. It wasn't free. And so we settle through our perseverance, through our unrelenting spirit, through wanting to really know what is true. We keep moving through the entire continuum from the deepest and most compacted form of self-concern and self-centeredness to a more liberating and open and spacious sense. Right on through it. And all of the different configurations that consciousness takes, we keep moving. Can we sit for a minute? So what configuration of consciousness are you presently in? It's just like this. It's just whatever it is that's going on. That's the shape that consciousness is taking. Now in this minute, see if you can really release the tension associated with whatever is occurring. And you'll find that there will be, or quite likely will be, more space available. Your consciousness would have expanded. And perhaps the shape it then takes is a quieter consciousness. Perhaps you can feel the gentle movement of your heart. Something you couldn't feel when you were waging a struggle with yourself. And now consciousness looks like that. And what if you released all the tensions of body and mind? What would your consciousness look like then? How deep does that stillness penetrate? right into the cells of your body. Okay, if there are any questions or comments, I'd be happy to respond if I can. to the direct experience of learning from from life, what, what about the learning from, from 
words of the mind and uh, reflection and Dharma talks and books. Or it seems like is there a way to do that well or that? Yes. Uh, the question is about. Uh, not only learning from one's direct experience, but also learning from the words of books or conversation or your own conversation, your own investigative conversation that we have. And there's a, there's a beautiful simpatico between the mind and stillness uh, that uh, requires a both conversation and quietude. If you go back to the dyads that we have done together, and we'll do others for those of you who haven't experienced it, you're given a question. And that question isn't quiet, it's a question. You know, where is the stillness in this moment? And you take that question and you see what it means to you. And then you experientially let those words settle into the experience of what or where that stillness lies. Now the question is gone, it's done its job. It's taking you to the place, to the origin of that realization, of that actual experience that it's pointing towards. If you begin to read a book, if you stop where you're confused and you just let that phrase settle into you until it means, and sometimes you will close the book and you would spend a week before you open the book again, but some meaningful phrase, some way that a series of words has, has uh, spoken to you, and you let those words deeply move you into the experience of where those words arose from, that actual experience that the words are addressing or pointing towards, you'll find that this is a very deep, rich reflection and contemplation that each of us can use. In fact, if I had my druthers, I would have the Buddha and I would have Manjushri next to him. Manjushri is the seal of the um, spear, not spear, sword wielding uh, bodhisattva who cuts through anything, discriminates, does not allow anything to stand in its path of, of uh, wisdom. And next to Manjushri, I would have. Kuan Yin, the female expression of tenderness and receptivity. And between the three of them, I'd let them work out the details, <laughs> you would find a beautiful simpatico of those three components that each of us contain. And how to use our thoughts to move us deeply into that stillness, into that residue of quietude. And so th words have a very definite, valid way of being used for lay practitioners, for the most part. Yes? Do you think that moving along this continuum towards waking is inevitable for all beings? Is another what? Inevitable for a being, for all beings? Uh, is it inevitable that people will move down the continuum? It's inevitable, but how long it takes. Is, I mean, I don't, you know, it, it, it's helpful when you are conscious of that movement and start inviting and investing more attention to that movement. Uh, I think the earth is evolving on its own. I think that 
uh, human consciousness is also in its state of evolution. Uh, it's hard to see, but I do think that it is moving very incrementally in that direction. But I think that making, there's a point in which you make it a conscious, conscious intention to move yourself forward. And you do everything from a more inclining position than a wait and see, and I hope this, you know, that kind of. Uh, so you speed things along considerably when you actually engage in your spiritual journey as your own. Well, that's a good way of thinking about it. I mean, and in your point about how the question is, how is consciousness conditional? Uh, um, in deep sleep, you're without. There's no consciousness, right? In deep sleep, there's there's no recognition there. Um, now, so then you that leads you to think, okay, it's conditional. I mean, if it's if it's not conditional then it was they'd be there all the time, wouldn't it? But it's not. And, and so to begin to sense that uh, consciousness uh, has its conditioned way of shaping itself, uh, given what and how it is that the energy is being formed within it. Okay, consciousness without content is awareness. Think of, uh, think of a... Uh, a canvas before you start painting. The blank canvas is awareness. Once you start painting pictures or putting pictures on the canvas, you're placing content upon awareness. And that's the shape that consciousness is taking now around that content and the forms and expressions within it. Okay? So that's one way of understanding consciousness. Buddhism, they talk about consciousness at each sense door. Okay? So, I mean, if you, maybe if you have such a, you know, a microscopic introspective perception, you can actually see that arising, those things arise, which is possible. But let me give you a, a way to understand that, because if you're down at the seashore and you just listen to the sounds of the seashore, a whole set of memories come up around just the hearing whole set of conscious connections come up around the hearing, right? Now smell the sea, and a whole set of conditioned references come up around the smell that are different than the hearing of it. And then the sight, you can see a different set of conditions arising around the sight of, 
within. So you can begin to see how all of those laced together without, when they're not differentiated becomes the totality of why we go to the sea because we want access to those different memories, to those different sense doors, to all of that. And yet those are each individual consciousnesses that are coming in with very separate content associated at each sense door. Even the, the sense of salt spray on your skin, you know, has a different memory uh, deposit than, than the others. So you get a sense that each sense door is constantly bringing forth its content up within the consciousness that's associated within that particular. Now I don't have that on an on day to day basis, I don't have that kind of, of nuanced sense that, you know, that this is six individual things that are occurring here. So, but, but I can get a sense of how it's shaping itself within all those senses, given how tight and tense I am within it. And now I can move consciousness outside of that shape, outside of that conditioned reference shape, that also has its own laws. When you have consciousness, you not only have a shape of me and you and separation and distance and all of the things, but you also have laws that come in that are, in, that are conducive to that state of consciousness. Now what, let me give you one. When I sense separation, when I'm here and you're there, that's a law that's held within the shape of consciousness. Now when I'm over here and you're over there, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to die because I've separated myself out from everything. I'm going to suffer. So I brought forth suffering and death from that shape of consciousness. In unity consciousness, there's not that because there's not the individuation of form. Right? So you see that we create the very laws that we work under from the shape the consciousness is, 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 uh, is creating in that particular moment. It's interesting, isn't it? Okay, so on to the, to the other component of the evening, which are announcements. And if we could get, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for your attention. And next week uh, we'll have a discussion on this. I hope you all attend. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.